Hello, and welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, once again, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dussel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the sauna at the Father Guido Sarducci Center of Excellence for the Ecumenical Study of Interfaith Religion and Society here on the beautiful Hubble campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of an underground occult installation in southeastern Turkey at the site of Bashbuk. Dating to the 9th and 8th century BCE, the long rock-cut galleries are dug deep into the bedrock and are decorated with incised and painted scenes of local Aramean deities, conveniently labeled in Aramaic, but who are depicted in the Assyrian style. Why an underground cult space, and why Aramean deities wearing cool Assyrian clothes and stuff? Was this a site of religious syncretism and political integration, or just a local politician's extra-cool rec room in an era before wooden paneling? One thing is for sure— that local politician, Mukin Abua of Tushan, had excellent taste. Okay, um, it's a very simple and straightforward lightning round today. Um, name one odd thing that's in your basement. <laughs> Gosh, that's not straightforward at all. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. And honestly, I haven't lived in a house with a basement for a very long time. I can only think of normal things in a basement. <laughs> well, wait, 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 Let, let's, let's back up. Do you have a storage unit? Um, how about, how, how about any, any basement in any house that I lived in? Okay, that's, that's, that's better, that's, yeah. That's fair. All right, you wanna start it again then so you don't have to edit it? <laughs> you can just no, chop, no. Off, chop off all this early stuff. No, this is literally the good stuff. <laughs> all right. I have something. Okay. I, in my, in my uh, ancestral home, in my basement, was a two foot high uh, Mr. Plastic Mr. Peanut. That was, <laughs> that was like, you know, a little promotional thing that, you know, that my dad got from, this, from his store. Wow. And I love that Mr. Peanut. <laughs> and where did Mr. Peanut go? Oh, you know how these things go. They, you know, things just, things just disappear. That's true. Another childhood trauma surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've, I've wanted to wear a monocle for most of my life. <laughs> well, haven't we all, really? Uh, really. Um, uh, Dr. Holota. <laughs> Don't mispronounce my name. Um, so um, all I can think about are like bicycles and boxes of ridiculous things from graduate school but those that's what was the question unusual things those are pretty usual they're just odd yeah those are not odd um so but well, that depends on what 
Depends on what kind of stuff from graduate school. Yeah, well, a combation of, of class. Well, your, your, your old cheerleading outfit? Uh, <laughs> a corn cob pipe? <laughs> class notes and off prints. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the question was not not boring things. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as you know, I'm a very boring person. So things, not things that can be recycled. <laughs> yeah. Alex? You must have something in your basement now that's odd. Come on. You've got a very you know, very creepy crawly kind of basement. Well, that's true. But all, I mean, other things, you know, uh, Xbox cartridges from the early 2000s. <laughs> from the Mesozoic era. <laughs> Maybe a small, a small jar of arsenic for some kind of ant removal process oh, that never- Well, actually, her, her actually. aunt and uncle in their basement, there actually was things like jars of arsenic. <laughs> arsenic there you go. Say, but let, let us clarify that that, that was um, a basic- Properly disposed to, of. To medical professionals. So, yeah. yeah. Nothing illegal there. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm gonna go with um, 50 issues, the first 50 issues of the journal Anatolian Studies. Oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I so knew that was coming. Oh. And, and, and this is an opportunity for me to make a, a convenient plug for any listener out there who wants to buy 50 issues of Anatolian Studies, which weighs, I don't know, probably 200 pounds. You know, Would you ship them if there were interest? Uh, we can talk. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm going to fax them <laughs> one page at a time. <laughs> well, that's that's certainly. I don't think it. No, I'll just mail. I'll just mail them. You know. Um, yeah. Okay, but but you you see where I was going. I reverse engineered the lightning round to get in that thing to get yeah. to Anatolia. Yeah. To, oh, oh, nice. To get to the sub basement walk down. <laughs> It's in, in southeastern Anatolia. At Bashbuk. Right. Bashbuk, where there is a recently discovered neo-Assyrian cult room that in a gallery way underground found oddly beneath some Jamok's house. And they right. broke in. The circumstances of the discovery seemed, seemed a little, little unusual to me. Mm -hmm. Was it, it, it? I didn't. I wasn't clear. Is there like an actual tell, a site that this goes with? That's unclear. But what is clear is that uh, somebody built a house over this, an illegal house over over this uh, site, over this. Well, it wasn't an illegal house. They didn't know the site existed. I think the illegal part was was digging a hole <laughs> yeah, was, down was, into the basement. Was and not, and not, reporting, not reporting what they found, but uh, I, yeah. I, I don't think it was a site as much as just uh, an underground, um, you know, an underground small city cut into the bedrock. Well, uh, so that's um, the part that puzzles me. And, and, you know, what, <laughs> what, what was it? All right. Well, well so Len, we should, we should describe it in, <laughs> in our own inimitable way. <laughs> so there's dates to the late eighth, uh, late ninth and early eighth century BCE. All right. Mm -hmm. It's a series of, of rock cut galleries. 
there's an upper gallery that's about eight and a half meters long and a lower gallery that's at least 31 meters long. And um, they are lined with, with paintings incised and then painted uh, depictions of, of gods. And they For seem something. to be, they, or something or somebody wearing wearing hats with horns and things right and and for once it's an archaeological find that is labeled that's true that's right well not, that's right. i mean it often happens but <laughs> um and so the you've got a whole procession of deities and they're lined up and the big guy um his name is, seems to be hadad and then there's a, a lady god and her name written in Aramaic underneath seems to be Turt. T-R-T. <laughs> and then there's the, the uh, and there's Sin. Um, and all these guys are depicted with the characteristic headgear and decoration of Neo- uh, Assyrian deities, but their names are written in Aramaic and they seem to have uh, lots of Aramaic kinds of features. So, so the question is what's going on here? <laughs> Why is it underground? <laughs> who did right. this? But we even know who did this. Right. Somebody say so. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, really, that's the really fun part, don't you think? Mukin Abua, the head of Tushan. Right. Yeah. Scientist, scientist work. And, and yeah. he's known from uh, various Neo-Assyrian texts as the... He apparently <clears throat> is the one who campaigned against Dare in the year 794 BC. That's, there's an inscription that tells us that. Um, and a, a known inscription telling us that. This just says his name and that he is the head of Tushan. Right, and the, um, and the uh, inscriptions and the, the, the drawings are not complete. Right. They're only partial. And so it seems like, uh, what's this guy's name again? Mukin Abua. <laughs> Mukin Abua uh, was not able to complete his, uh, his masterpiece. Right. Or have right. his masterpiece completed. Right. Uh, and he had, he had to suddenly leave, depart with his artisans. Right. And because it looks like this is, it, we have the top part of figures and the bottom parts of these figures are not, are not finished. And this, they're also in a row processing in the upper chamber of, right. of this thing. And right. it looks to me, and I think the article said that they had to stop excavations at a certain point because they were worried about collapse. So they haven't finished. So from this upper chamber, you go down and there's a passageway, which I guess maybe they're calling the lower chamber, but it's not finished. There could be more below. Right. Yeah, they're right. So the upper and lower galleries are connected by a long stairway. All of this is hewn into the bedrock. So right. the site itself is subterranean right. uh, and it's not a tell site in any way. It's some kind of a, a small underground um, set of galleries with 
from what we're being told from these articles is, you know, some kind of ritual cultic practice. Fair enough. That's what we always say. Right. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, Mukan just wanted to decorate his, uh, his wine <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, hard to say, but um, there's a lot of very interesting things about this. Uh, not first and foremost, what is it? Right. So what's the nature of the. Well, for, first and foremost, first, first and foremost, hats off to the archaeologists. Right. This is a tricky, uh, anything underground like this is a tricky, tricky business. And uh, they were apparently forced to, to cut their work short because of the danger of collapse. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> so, <laughs> guys, be careful. Right. right. <laughs> oh, oh. Horned hats, hats off to the archaeologists. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. put those horned safety hats on when you go back. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, you know, the big thing is, is that this is um, sort of a real, you know, fusion, even a preponderance of Aramean stylistic uh, and uh, written texts or written descriptions. Mm -hmm. uh, right, right. Sort of, you know, placed over... Uh, Neo-Assyrian, you know, styles. Right, right. So um, that's kind of the exciting part, like you just said, that uh, you've got you've got this the Assyrians who you know are conquering, have conquered, or still conquering the region, and um, this is their style of art. But you've got local script identifying these these deities. Right now, the 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 excavators suggested in in this article that this was. A manifestation of a local cult drawing on regional Aramean traditions in order to consolidate Assyrian political legitimacy and political new Assyrian political leaders like this guy Mukin Abua, which is all fine. But why is it underground? Why isn't it out there in the open somewhere as a, a, a as an advertisement of right of this? this legitimacy and this fusion-ism. Right, especially, uh, so one thing about Assyrian palace artwork, which has been studied for over years, uh, is like, you know, you got all this stuff meant for people to see it. You know, you've got these scenes of conquest and that means your emissaries who are coming to your palace, they're gonna see how strong you are and they're not gonna, you know, your vassals aren't gonna rebel because they see what you've done to other people and so on. So, so usually Assyrian art is really meant to impress and be seen. And this- well, But there is a tradition of, of these rock cut reliefs way high up that also nobody true. can really see except for the gods themselves. That's a good so, point too. So I think um, I think what we're learning uh, is is that there are a lot of different kinds of places in which these uh, depictions can um, find themselves, and this might be our first example of a subterranean set of galleries, yeah. uh, and thus we don't really understand or fully appreciate the function of them, but that um, they're just they're cutting and pasting wherever they can. That's yeah. right, and and they appear at ground level. Also on steely, and uh, where you 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 know carve an image into a freestanding pillar of some kind, life size, over life size, smaller than life, what have you. And you, but all of these things are assertions of political power and legitimacy, and all of them 
are understandable in the local idiom, but this one is uniquely private. Right. What with it being underground. So I'm wondering how it would have actually worked. Right. And that <laughs> might get that might get to a, you know sort of a very um, granular view of local politics and you know what these local um, you know governors and um, political leaders could afford and you know wanted for for themselves as opposed to something more public um, or maybe it was just a function again of you know legitimacy and wealth you know ordered legitimacy and wealth uh, to say you know hey you want to come down to my gallery and you know partake in this particular ritual that right. um, only us insiders only us cool kids are going to be doing right right. I so go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, one thing that was not suggested, and I don't have enough information about the site to suggest it, but what do you usually think of when you see something underground with carvings? Well, I, don't, I don't usually see it. <laughs> I usually, That's the problem. I usually think of tombs, right? And ah. this has not been suggested. No. But, uh, it's um, also only partially excavated. And, you know, we do have Assyrian tombs, you know, thinking of royal tombs at Nimrod, whatever, with, with carvings in right. them. And, so, and I guess the suggestion for these particular uh, reliefs, they're not reliefs. What are they? They're incised. Painted incised. Yeah. Incised and painted. Sort of like they're etchings. Etchings. Oh. That's a sketch. <laughs> that they have uh, something to do with, um, with uh, fertility and, um, you know. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Well, again, the so the, the the gods that are being suggested based on readings of the inscriptions include include you know this main fertility goddess as a potential second figure next to the storm god. Atarata. Say again. Atarata. <laughs> right. Well, it's Ishtar. Ishtar. It's a Western Ishtar. Yes. Um, and it's it's sort of a. It's an Eastern Astarte, right. um, but she's known as, you know, the, you only have the vowels, which is pert. Right. So. Right. No, I, I, yeah, a tarot or something. Or, and, yeah. and the the common later variant in the region is Atagatis, which I'm probably mispronouncing. Atagurth, yeah. Yeah. Right. And what's interesting there is, is that she seems to be better known from what, the, the late fourth, third centuries. Yeah, right. So there's some nice continuity from you know the later part of the Iron Age in, into um, into the Persian and ultimately Hellenistic periods. Right. So right. Uh, and that's so that's that's actually quite interesting, mm -hmm. uh, and and how that will tie into you know sort of um, you know what happens to the Arameans. That's true. But I, I want to go back to this whole underground thing. <laughs> which, means. which is what drew us drew us into this whole discussion because there's a lot of stuff that goes on underground um yes well, no, <laughs> and, you're, and just and what specifically are you referring to, <laughs> to no, dr joffney no, there's a, there was like a comma <laughs> and then the rest of, no all sorts of activities religious activities in particular have gone on in caves 
for tens of thousands of years. So you can't go back that, to prehistory to make an analogy. I don't think that's legitimate. I'm not making an analogy. I'm, <laughs> I'm constructing a linear argument that from... <laughs> whoa. Whoa, hecklers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on. Um, that from the, from the upper Paleolithic period onward, humans um, go underground to do all sorts of religious religious rites, and we know this all around the uh, all around the Mediterranean, certainly all around the ancient Near East. <clears throat> as these uh, as time goes on, well, I mean, you can look at let's say in the Neolithic period where they're digging they're digging underground kinds of chambers, and they're putting up you know which are then going to be roofed or something, and they're putting up giant pillars, which we've talked about ad infinitum. Um, all sorts of rituals go on in tombs, et cetera, et cetera. So the underground is a, it's a liminal space where. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's good. That's always good. It's the underground also a, is the underworld. It's that's also right. a chthonic space. Oh, I, you know. I just really wanted to get that in there. I wanted to get that in there. Nice. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, but. But I would much prefer, and, and I'm fine with the second part of what you said, I would much prefer you to stick to, say, Bronze and Iron Age examples when you're talking about underground rituals instead of going all the way back to the Neolithic or before. I think it's the human impulse to go underground. I don't have that impulse. I thought the human impulse was to fly. Yeah. Well, and you have that too with these. Right. Well, well that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying is that all possible, you know, spaces, be they high up, or be they subterranean, or be they at you know ground level, are are being deployed mm -hmm. by, by these as rhetorical devices by these um, various low level functionaries to em emperors. Yeah, they so, really the Assyrian kings really wanted to be um, masters of their domain, <laughs> masters of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing. You're not laughing. We're all laughing. This, this might be our first example of underground comics. That's true. Right? Although we, we probably have talked about, you know, underground, again, Paleolithic kinds of cave painting sorts of things. At least, in, at least we've talked about them in passing a little bit. Um, well, well, that's clearly, how memorable the conversation was. <laughs> well, clearly we're we're sort of at the same impasse that the, that the uh, excavators are at, which is we need to really get a much better understanding of what else is down there. Right, um, that's, that's exactly it, right. right it could be purely functional, right? It could be underground storage for, you know, things that need to be kept cool. <laughs> it's this guy's wine cellar. Exactly. Right. Wanted to be protected by all the great deities of the area. Right, or, you know, just to decorate, you know, so that all the, you know, so as you're walking downstairs, you're, you know, seeing some nice, you know, wall, I don't know. I, wall decorations. That's interesting, but but I, I guess I have this this sort of modern, you know, you don't want to use the gods in vain and you don't want to just be drawing your gods everywhere. Maybe it's a, you know, don't take God's name in vain, kind of a mm. modern judeo oh, Well, that's, that's an interesting, right. So how Baroque are they? Are they just filling in every possible space? Or is the filling in of space a very, very rarefied, specific kind and of thing? Who was allowed to do that? Yeah. Were, these, were these images restricted in any way? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, why I I would not feel comfortable just drawing gods on the steps down to my basement. I think that would be a little sacrilegious. Well, if I believed in all these gods, I think it would be a little bit sacrilegious. Um, well, can we ever know. really fully understand of how these Iron Age people considered and conceived of their gods? I mean, I don't really think we have enough information and we don't have enough. You know, what we really need is graffiti, right? Because graffiti is the kind of um, un, uncensored, uh, you know, right. pure... Right kind of emotive communications. Uh, and, and we don't really have that too much as far as I can think that's, of. That's true. And that brings up the point that these are actually really well executed. Right. Um, They're lovely. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. are. In, um, in good Spanish style. And again, compliments to the excavators. The, yeah. photo, the photographs of these are just you know, superb, really nice. And, and, um, and to, the, to the people who made them, because adding that black ink in the incisions really makes them pop. <laughs> yes. So I I recommend this technique to anybody who's who's out there trying to do it. Try it, it right. right. But I think also there's a comparative aspect to this. Um, so if you if you look around the ancient the ancient old world, which cultures um, really felt compelled to fill in as much blank space with pictures of gods and, and other stuff and really go massively overboard mm. in terms of representing the, the deities and, and the kings and their relationship with the deity. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go with the Egyptians. Sure, Egyptians filled in every possible space. Every flat space, they're gonna be advertising. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, whether it's, I always liken it to when you go to the gas station and there's like ads on the handle of the gas pump and you pick up the gas pump and the TV thing starts flashing you the gas station. Oh, that, that is so annoying. I hate it's that. So annoying. Um, I, I wonder whether, I wonder whether there's like an overkill kind of aspect that the, that regular ancient Egyptians felt. Right, do you just tune it out? You see it everywhere, so you tune it out. Right. How, how much of this stuff, though, did ancient Egyptians see? They were routinely going into temples and certainly That's... not, you know, well, you sort walk of around, past a, around. You walk temples. past a pylon. Right. You do I mean, walk past pylons and temples in general, yeah. Right. But you don't see all the tomb decorations once you close the, the tomb. And that's really where the fullest painted stuff. Yeah, in, certainly, certainly in the later periods, but in the, in the earlier periods, all the all the little tchotchkes represent, you know, the mythological world in some way. Oh, and you've got that whole pyramid thing going on. <laughs> the biggest advertisement of all time, possibly. Yes, let's not forget the pyramids go upward towards the skies and are definitely above ground. So that's something else. Unless they're built by aliens, in which case they're going down. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to raise is that there are these very famous underground cities in Cappadocia that date to, I think, the 10th and 11th centuries that are just incredible and fabulous. And again, I'm sorry? CE. BC or CE? Oh, CE. Yeah, okay. 
I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, Cappadocia, the underground cities, they're yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, these underground cities, and they're just, you know, they're extraordinary and, and incredible. Um, they were, I think, built for, you know, in, for, for refuge. But, um, yeah. you know, and certainly we can't connect these two traditions in any way, shape, or form, but... Um, right, right. You know, there's certainly a lot of underground borrowing and tunneling going on in Anatolia. That's an interesting point. That's actually I really- I love that stuff. Yeah. I want to come back and then I'm going to let this rest to the idea of a tomb because I think if it was a tomb, the excavators would have at least speculated about that. But I'm going to speculate just for another second and then stop, which is, um, you know, if it were a tomb, perhaps even a tomb for this Mukim Abua, um, perhaps- so The head of Kushan? Yes, him. Because <laughs> his name appears in front of the figures, and then the figures, first three of them, have their potential names, like their inscriptions are written on them or right next to them. So maybe, and again, this is just wild speculation, Mukin Abua is building this underground tomb for himself, and he is... Uh, aggrandizing himself with the main gods uh, showing up in procession to, to honor him. Um, and of course that would hinge on there being a lower gallery with a burial chamber and all that, which nobody has suggested. So that's just my sort of tomb oriented uh, reading, but I'll leave it there. Okay. What's all that hawking going on? <laughs> there's, there's a new, um, front walk that's going in <laughs> it's it's cobblers oh the, also somebody building an underground chamber yeah i was gonna say hewers of stone um okay what about what what about all of the uh art historical analysis that suggests a lot of the procession has to do with um you know fertility and for uh you know good crops and all that kind of stuff right well I mean, sure, why not? You know, I, I, I sort of, I want to know how to get from point A to point B. It, it is, it, it, isn't it, it's all these really important gods. So you've got the storm god who's, storm gods were always very important in Anatolia. You've got this um, Astarte person. You've got the moon god. Well, Sin. That's, that's his gal. What? That's his gal. Consort. I think right, we use the right. consort. Right. We don't use gal for no. I don't, I don't think anyone's using gal. I don't think anyone's using gal anymore. <laughs> um, that. And you've got the sun god, Shamash. Yeah, yeah. So, and the others are harder to identify. And so there's Sin, who's right. got who's the yeah. moon god because he's got a moon crown thing right. going on. Right, and Shamash because of some uh, winged sun sun Wonders. crown. Um, so, so you've got, I mean, the fertility is part of it because of Astarte, and, but then as you point out that she's there to be a consort. Uh, I have no problem with fertility. I just don't. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I mean, it sort of comes down to, you know, what's it doing underground if it's not a tomb? How, well, that's actually interesting. Maybe we've got sort of a Aphrodite um, or a descent of descent of Ishtar into yeah, the netherworld sure. thing going it's on. Chronic. What? It's chronic. Right. 
the gods are are lining the, the staircase so that you can descend down to the lower area and do these rituals of dying and dying and reviving and blah 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 mm -hmm. and and uh, Mukinabua is saying to the local the local guys come over we'll go down and talk to the goddess we'll watch them watch one of them be reborn we'll go through the whole mumbo jumbo we'll have a few beers as a way of establishing political control but also establishing a kind of cultural relationship with them um that that seems much, a much more economical kind of uh explanation to me than anything else the syrians <laughs> trying to dominate the underworld so to speak that's not bad okay that's good yeah yeah all right and with right. that let us walk back up to the up to ground <laughs> level in light <laughs> um final words final thoughts Basement of the gods is an interesting place <laughs> where all sorts of things are stored. <laughs> well, we're going to... Mysteries. I wait eagerly for them to be able to finish their excavations and find out what lies beneath. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and maybe we'll come back in season six and talk about what they actually did find. The answers lie below. <laughs> very good. I'm going to write that one down too. <laughs> okay, very good. And... Well, that's an episode that has me wanting to clean out the basement to see what lies below. In the meantime, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, now a resident of the great city of Chicago, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Monongahela River Consolidated Coal and Coke Company, owner and operator of the Riverboat Sprague, the only steam-powered sternwheeler towboat capable of pushing 56 coal barges at once. So to get in touch... Leave us a comment. Send us an email at This Week in the Ancient Near East, which, as you know, is all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134. <laughs>